trying to have clarity of, of your vision, I think is important piece, whatever that is okay. that you're doing, because that helps you stay the course. Once you're clear in your mind as to what the vision looks like, I think you're able to stay the course easier um, because that's what a lot of people in your organization will want. And so it's that kind of clear roadmap of what it is you're trying to do. So I think that helps build a resilient mind anyway, because then yes. you can deal with the ups and downs. I'm Dr. Mark Rowe, and welcome to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. As a family physician, my expertise is supporting people in the areas of positive health and lifestyle medicine. Join me in conversations that share life lessons, health habits, and leadership practices, focusing on positive psychology, lifestyle medicine, and ways that enable you to live with more vitality on purpose. Appreciating that when it comes to your vitality, that everything is so interconnected. Episodes will air weekly, and you can find me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, on my website, drmarkrow.com. Leo Cullen was a prolific rugby player. He won 32 caps for Ireland and 221 caps for Leinster during a stellar career that saw him win titles with Blackrock College, Leinster Rugby and Leicester Tigers. His success as a player has followed him into management. He became Leinster Rugby head coach in August 2015. In 2018, in his third season as head coach, Cullen became the first man to win a Champions Cup title as a player and as a head coach, as he presided over a first ever Guinness Pro 14 and Champions Cup double for Leinster. Join me in this podcast as I speak with Leo Cullen about leadership and values, burnout prevention and resilience, professionalism in sport, commitment to continuous improvement and the power of purpose on and off the field of play. If you're a leader who recognizes, particularly since COVID-19, that living with vitality and building a more resilient mind matter now more than ever for you and your team, then this podcast is for you. For further details, visit drmarkrow.com. So I'm delighted to be joined today by Leo Cullen. You know, firstly, Leo, what I'd like to say to you is, you know, clearly you are a proven winner in your sporting career, both as a player of rugby and as a coach, not just with Blackrock College, but with UCD, Leinster, Leicester, Ireland. And I know recently you were voted the inaugural winner of the Guinness Pro 14 Coach of the Month. So I want to congratulate you on that, first of all. But I suppose, Leo, what I want to start by asking you is what motivates Leo Cullen? What drives you? Um, oh, well, I suppose it's easy in a way because I'm doing something that I really enjoy. So um, mm. I met with somebody this morning and they were saying they actually work with Riverdance and they were saying they feel like they've never worked before. Um, and I probably feel something very, very similar. I know there's certain challenges to all roles and jobs. But for me, like when I was in school, um, I left school in 1996. So the mm. game of rugby only went professional in 1995. So it's not like I really dreamt of playing rugby as an occupation. Whereas I'm sure there's young people in school now that or in clubs or wherever they are um, would do dream about playing rugby as a, as a profession. Um, I went into the degree in UCD and it was only really at that stage um, you could, could see there was a, maybe a potential career path being carved out. So um, for me to go into whatever it was, it was it was actually the Irish Academy then. It was The, the structure was slightly different to what it is now. Um, but um, into this Leinster senior team and Leinster probably was only around 1997. So Mike Ruddock was the first professional Leinster senior team coach, who's Reese Ruddock's father. Um, Reese is okay. currently playing with us. Obviously, played for Ireland there last weekend. So, and you know there was a lot of kind of young players coming through at that stage, but also a lot of players that had played amateur rugby were that were turning professional. So it was kind of these this meeting point um, of these two different groups. So yes. Um, and I was very, very fortunate just to be part of that journey with that group of people because in many ways it gives me a bit of a glimpse um, of, well, these are guys that have actually just you know, carved out careers alongside playing rugby um, and doing all the training, all the rest, and doing the Tuesday and Thursday nights with their clubs and playing at the weekend, but having their day job as well. So, um, But then I was in college doing my study, but we were for pretty much be training full-time um, mm -hmm. all the way through. So, And then I was very fortunate, like I go through the course of my career, um, as you laid out there, I left for England in... Um, but I think as going back even, like as the dream as a, as a kid is to play for Ireland. My dad took yes. me to Irish International when I was nine or ten years of age. And then I'm just that kid. I was grew up in the country and I'm kicking the ball around the fields uh, 
pretending I'm playing for Ireland. Um, and I had that during the course of my childhood, really, at various different stages. So um, I was lucky enough to play for Ireland in 2002 and go through the cycle playing for Leinster and for Ireland for a period. I had the opportunity to go for England for a couple of years in 2005 to 2007, experienced a new culture. It was, again, it was a team I, had, I admired from a, from a distance over the years. So mm. it's probably too good an opportunity. And, and life presents us with these opportunities and sometimes you just got to jump on them when they do come along. Um, Absolutely. And then after that, then I come back to Leinster and it was, it was quite a successful period uh, when I returned with some some good characters and some good coaches, some great players and teammates and all the rest. So um, And then even post them, I play miraculously some I played till I was 36 years of age. Um, probably because I enjoyed doing what I was doing, mm. um, which makes it a lot easier for the for the grind of the training and all the rest. Because I I enjoy the game. I watched I watched it a lot as a player, um, and which sort of is a natural progression into coaching then for me as well. So um, I feel very very fortunate the way things have panned out. Um, but I think it goes back to that initial piece. It's when you're doing something you really enjoy. It's never seems like that particularly mm. hard work, does it? Absolutely. I mean, there's been so many interesting transitions in your career and we'll go back on some of those. But one word you've said several times already, Leo, which really resonates with me is this word fortunate that you you, you come across to me as as a man who's very grateful for all his experiences. Is gratitude important to you as a value? Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I, I'm blessed, you know, I was blessed with the, mm. the childhood and upbringing I had. My parents would have worked very, very hard in, in different ways, but you know, we, we never wanted for anything ever as a child mm-hmm. so i feel very very fortunate there i have an older sister younger brother so we had a we had a great family unit and um grew up in the country and had probably the best of both worlds really because my, my father would have worked in dublin and later in life i, I w- went to school in in dublin as well so but yeah it was always nice to have that piece of country mm-hmm. as well and growing up on a farm uh where we had uh cattle and sheep and horses and mm. all the rest um so we had a bit of everything <laughs> everything animal you can name the um, best of ireland as they say yeah exactly yeah so and that's the beauty as well of growing up in ireland as well you have so many great i guess pastimes on your doorstep and you know the, the sporting piece when you tie that in is it's fantastic way to grow up mm, i couldn't agree more i think ireland is such a fabulous country and has has so much potential opportunity for so so many of us can i just ask you about your education leo for a minute you went to school as you said you went to black rock college and what's interesting about black rock college is their values and they value being being grateful being present being truthful being caring do you feel your time in black rock college was was a positive experience in what way did it shape and influence yeah yeah that's from what i remember yeah be there be caring um yeah, I found my times there fantastic, yeah. Um, my dad went to school in Ross Gray. And it was it was when we I went to, um, there was a school in Wicklow Town called Wicklow Montessori School, which is a primary school there. So that's where I went initially. My sister, I think she was the only girl in her class, so she moved out. And so she went to an all-girls school. And then I got moved out at that stage as well. And the reason right. why I went, I went into Willow Park and it was in third class and then on into Black Rock, but it was because my mum's brothers had been to the school. So that was the slight connection there, which I had a fantastic time there. A lot of my best, very best friends now um, are from my school days, you know. Um, I think literally the first person I met when I walked into Willow Park, when I was in third class, is one of my best friends to this very, very day. So we chat nearly every week. So some great relationships get built up over time, I think. Which, which is fantastic that lasts the test of time as well. But yeah, no, again, even in, in terms of the, from a sporting point of view, it's, it's influenced me hugely over mm-hmm. the course of my, uh, of my lifetime. So, and even when I was playing in Lens in the early days, I, I did a stint coaching back there as well, which probably gave me my first opportunity in coaching. I had a bad injury, a shoulder injury. I was out for six months during the middle of the season. So it was, again, <clears throat> I think when you, when you have a setback, it's always been able to turn your attention to something else and something we preach to our guys all the time just to have something else that they can turn their attention to if they have a setback and you know if you're involved in professional sports you know particularly rugby there's going to be setbacks along the way so how you kind of overcome some of those obstacles but yeah but yeah definitely yeah, BlackRock has played a huge role um, in my in shaping me um, yes. I'm not sure is that good or bad but <laughs> they're part of the reason the way I am today for sure well you know martin seligman who's the sort of the grandfather of positive psychology he would say we can't change our experiences but we can change the explanation that we give them and i think that really is the hallmark of resilience that when you experience a setback 
as you said, you're able to turn your attention and focus to something else that it gives you the opportunity to grow and to, to you know, to bounce back as it were. Uh, so I think that really demonstrates your resilience uh, from, from an early age. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, well, life is for living a little bit as well. Yeah. And I think it's just important to turn your attention to something else, you know, and so... Yeah, I remember that saying, you know, you want to get a job done, ask a busy person. So yes. um, I think busy people are just constantly have things on the go. And it's that it's that responsibility piece. I think is responsibility is good. Yes. Um, you know, as we you know, later in life, uh, when we become parents, you know, if you're lucky enough to, to, to get to experience that and understanding, mm. well, you have the responsibility. And yes, we're, I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old now. And it's a great responsibility to have, but like children, there's lots of work as we know involved in <laughs> raising children. Um, they don't listen to you all the time, but it's the rewards you get off the back of that responsibility, I think, is what makes it so special. Um, and even though there's huge challenges within that, but um, yeah, responsibility is a good thing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think I think parenting is, is, is such a challenging role nowadays, and it's certainly something that, that that's very un- undervalued valued but very very rewarding uh i i read leo that you played ga at one stage as well is that true <laughs> it is yeah kill and croaks but that same yeah. friend from uh, willow park that i started with uh, i was yeah. actually staying because i you, I, mean, I was traveling we lived in wicklow so it's a you know, 25 mile commute in every day because i was a day boy and uh, so the odd time i'd stay in town with friends whatever it was the weekend if you were wanting to do something and uh, i turned up at chemical croaks training on a whatever i think it was a saturday morning and uh, the coach came over to me like tommy cochran and uh, he asked me to join in i said i didn't have no gear so he rummaged a bit of gear out from the boot of his car and 10 minutes later i was out there training away with the chemical croaks under 16s and played the full season there and yeah i really enjoyed it now to say yeah um there's a guy johnny mcgee that's probably the most famous name he ended up going on to play for dublin and managed yeah. wicklow and has managed chemical croaks as well so yeah it was great again just going back to the experience and you know trying things as well um absolutely and, uh, trying to take something from the experience um but yeah i loved the time there because it was it was at a funny sort of time you, you just junior junior cup rugby is up to under 15 and you know, you know, physically, I wasn't really ready to step up to that senior. Mm. So I was playing with a team in the school the house, it's sort of a mixture of four and fifth years. Um, and I was in fourth year at the time. So, um, but yeah, I took on like a lot of load that year. Um, but yeah, the, the training definitely really stood to me for lots of different mm. reasons. But yeah, great experience, I would say. Yeah, I think it is great to try out different sports. And as you said, everything can teach you something. I think that was very much a case of Dublin's loss and Ireland's gain, though. <laughs> um, well, it would have been represent Wicklow, I think. So <laughs> I'm <laughs> okay, sure it would have Wic- win any loss. <laughs> you said there, you know, you got a chance to go abroad to Leicester. Uh, was that a difficult decision for you, Leo? And and how did the time away shape you, do you think, as a person in sport? Uh, yeah, it was a difficult decision. Mm. It was sort of, I suppose there's, a, there's lots of parts of decision-making, I guess. Mm. Um, Leinster, we'd just been beaten in the quarterfinals of the European Cup by Leicester um, in Lansdowne Road. And it just happened I was off contract. And it wasn't particularly, it wasn't that I wasn't happy, but there was a, there was a quite a bit of transition. Declan Kidney was the coach of Leinster at the time, and he just agreed to move that back to Munster. He made a good decision because they won the European Cup in 2006, I think so. Um, and uh, I, I had a lot of time with Declan. He was only there for a year with Leinster. Um, so there was a little bit of uncertainty there, so that which helps shape your decision potentially. Leicester, as I, mm. I said earlier in the piece, was a club that I'd always had huge admiration for there was a player there Jordan Murphy that went on to play a lot of games for Ireland at fullback and um, yes. was on coach Leicester as well and um, so we played against each other in the school school final he was playing for Newbridge and we were always very very good friends all the way through so I I'd sort of watched his career with great interest and I had the chance to join Leicester at one point as well where I, I met one of the coaches there a guy called Bob Dwyer who was the coach of Australia when they won the World Cup in um, 1991 so but it didn't quite materialise and I was happy here finishing out education etc so but so there was always a little bit of that question around what if what if I had gone a bit earlier etc so mm-hmm. um, I was at the point I was 27 and I wasn't getting picked as often as I would have liked with the Irish team and I thought something had to change and to try and challenge mm-hmm. myself in a new environment so that was that was really the main reason was i thought i needed to do something different improve myself as a player and experience something different as well so hence i made the decision to go but lens was in a different place by the time i came back when so michael checker just he got appointed as a coach then probably about three or four weeks after i'd made the decision to to sign with leicester and yeah even i'd met michael before um i departed 
and we had some discussions even during the time I was away. So um, you could get the sense that he was putting some decent mm. processes in place here and um, making some positive change as well. But still, it takes it takes courage to change and it takes courage to admit to yourself that something needs to change because often it's easier just to stay put, isn't it? It is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But some of you know, you know, you're, you're banging your head against the wall and you know, so you've got to do, come up with a different strategy mm. realistically. So yeah, otherwise you're just going to keep getting the same results. So there was a little bit of that at the time, like it's easy looking back at it now, but yeah, the, the time away, but I, 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 I was doing it for the right reasons is I think is yes. an important factor as well. You know, I, I wanted to become a better player. I wanted to go to an environment mm. that was, I thought was going to improve me as a, as a player, first and foremost, and yeah, Leicester at that time, we were, it was a very, very successful period, um, involved in a lot of finals um, in the couple of seasons I was there. So we we're lucky enough to have some success and lift some trophies and all the rest. And I think that's what players really crave is to be part of a successful team. Mm. Um, and certainly it was something that I was craving and we weren't really getting that in Leinster at the time for lots of different reasons. And I was a contributing factor to those reasons as well. So I, I need to be very open about that myself. So, but I wanted to kind of be part of that winning culture, winning environment. Yes. And Leicester definitely was probably the place to be. Um, even for, for Leinster as a team, we'd just been beaten by them in the quarterfinals of the European Cup that year. So I was joining a competitive group, which was uh, which is going to challenge me in a different way as well. So I think that's important for people not to shy away from the challenges. Absolutely. And then you came back to Leinster and again you you brought that success with you and uh, and then you went on to go from being a successful player to being a successful coach i mean that was i think a really interesting transition i i must imagine that one minute you're one of the lads and then the next you're kind of deciding who's playing and who isn't yeah like it's all a bit of a whirlwind really to be honest when i look back at it now and <laughs> i play rugby so the bits in between get yeah. very, very very small piece of my brain the period has flown by so yeah there's there's been lots of challenges within that now as well so when I when I stopped playing I was lucky enough like because it's quite a tough transition for a lot of um, players when you know not everyone gets to choose when they retire as I said like I played till I was 36 so like I milked every ounce mm. of my body really and uh, I feel very fortunate I had some great times in terms of that dressing room setting where you build up great relationships with with people because you're in such close proximity. You're you're going out to you know to to play the games, and, you know, do battle so to speak. Like it's, it's mm. actually the way it is, but interesting to to use the phrase. Um, like you you get you have such great memories that dressing room, you know, off after a win or whatever it is, and it's those moments together that you really as you get older as a player, like you you appreciate them more and more, especially when you know you're finishing. So, um, so. Um, then the transition, like uh, I was lucky enough, Matt O'Connor was the coach at the time and he offered me a position in his coaching team at the mm-hmm. time. Um, so I was a forwards coach for a year. We didn't go particularly well that year as a group and there was some changes the year after and where I ended up in a kind of a caretaker position that became permanent over time. So yeah, that was that was a challenging period. Uh, learned a huge amount and it's just trying to make positive change for the right reasons, I think is, is the key really. So Thankfully, we managed to work, sort of work our way through it overall. And, you know, everyone rallied together and around the club. And we have some excellent senior players as well here that uh, work very closely with us as a management group. And um, we managed to come out the other side of it. But, yeah, it's just that sport, though, isn't it? Like, you know, for mm. every winner, there's a loser. Mm. Um, for every young player that comes into a team, you know, someone has to make way somewhere, whoever that is. Mm. Um, so it's this constant transition um, is what it feels like um, mm. so within that you're just doing what's best for your team and working hard and preparing as best you can and all that good stuff which we love but yeah, it's like it's the cycle of, of a sports team the way that is so um, mm. every season you start off and everyone has grand ambitions um, and then a natural pecking order or of a league mm. table emerges etc etc so we're all sort of in that period at the moment where we're jostling for position right now and we're trying to get ourselves in a good position where we're able to be involved in the big days usually the big days means big crowds um and all the rest and that's what we we really crave i think as a, as a group and a, as a mm. club here because we're blessed with we've got some amazing fans that turn out for that make the great the big make the big days is the reality and um but that's what we're working towards that's what we work towards every season 
every session really it's all about gearing up towards you know getting ourselves ready for these big days at the end of the season so you've obviously got to do a lot of grunt work to get to the days and then try and enjoy the days when they do come along absolutely i mean i think you're so right i mean i i i know quite a few players uh, in in different sports who have found that transition really really hard from playing to not playing and i think sport can be so brutal it's so it can be so absolute, so black and white, so win-lose. You're either in or you're out. And uh, I think it must be very hard as a player to know when you've peaked or, or, or when the, the star is beginning to fade. And uh, I think that can be a very difficult transition for players. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, well, you're, it's zero to zero stuff as well, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, um, and, you know, people, you like to be, like to build you up and then you come mm. crashing back down again. Yeah. So. Is <laughs> trying to think clearly through all the noise. And even with the fact that there's no crowds at games, you know, like in many ways, like, you know, it's like the Six Nations as an example. I, I don't know, am I reading too much into this? But like normally, like say Ireland or Blaine Viva, there's 50,000 people who go to the game and um, they're there for the occasion and yes. day out. And, you know, win, lose or draw, like at least they have potentially have a day out. Whereas I think there's more, it's almost like there's more frustration with supporters. So if the game doesn't go their way, it's like everyone has become the analyst now Yes, and thinking a lot more about the game it's specifically itself and analyzing a lot finer detail whereas you're at the game there's as we know mm. if you're at an international match there's people <laughs> up to the bar and all the rest yeah so very different at the moment for sure at the, um, with covid and no crowds at games so but that's just changing all the time and it's creating this different slightly different narrative about games so moral of the story is try and end up on the right side because, you know, <laughs> winners are the ones who are able to usually write the story. Um, they write the history. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the losers are just left licking their wounds, really, and trying to work away in the background. But as we know in sports, you know, like Premier League soccer in England is a classic example because it's like mm. a soap opera, really, isn't it? Um, mm. The coming and goings of players and managers and all the rest and who can stay strong and you know, you get a sticky patch for whatever reason um, and try and stick firm to your principles and um, stay close as a group, et cetera, et cetera. So you tend to learn a lot about people, particularly when mm. things aren't going well. So, yeah, it's... Uh, what's the best thing you've... What, what's the best thing you've ever learned about yourself, Leo, when things haven't gone well? Question. Well, I can't really tell you what I've learned. <laughs> I think it's understanding your personality though, when real pressure comes on. Like we do, we've, you know, we, we do that in the, like say insights as an example, in terms mm. of just a little bit of a deeper look at your own personality traits um, and understanding your blind spots, I guess. Um, so when real pressure does come out, because, um, you know, probably by by nature, I'm probably a little bit more introverted naturally. Um, I'm mm. not sure what people necessarily think that, but which, you know, sometimes like if real pressure comes on, you might go into your shell and become mm. more mm. reserved and quiet. So you know, if you're the head coach of a team, like you need to come out and lead at that point in time. So it's not about going back into your shell, if you understand me. So that's probably mm. a big piece. But yeah, like definitely you can try to be able to think clearly during during times of crisis as well. And putting good plans in place, I think is important because that's what people need to cling. They need to cling to something to take them out of whatever that dark patch is mm. and into sort of a, the brighter future, so to speak. And I often find, you know, giving yourself a bit of quiet time to think clearly, to reflect, to clear away the noise, uh, that can be invaluable to, to give you that clarity to lead and make those decisions. Well, that's the thing. Like thinking time is important if you're if you're mm. in a role, any role that involves making decisions, um, because a lot of decisions need to be considered um, and all mm. the different eventualities of different decisions and you know, like selection here is probably a classic example. Like we've lots of, you know, we've a team that gets picked every week and, you know, it gets released to the players, it gets released to the public and what, you know, works for us internally. There's so many different variables. And so we're always trying to gather as much information mm-hmm. on players if they've got a knock, what games have we got coming up next after this game and et cetera, et cetera, and trying to keep it competitive and all the rest. So there's lots of factors that go into that, but the thinking time to be able to process some of those decisions and then there's the communication of the decisions as well about because there's no really easy way to deliver bad news to people when they want to play on a regular basis. Um, that's the beauty of it. We've got a lot of competitive people here that we do. So we're lucky that we do have got competitive people that, you know, yes. matter to them. Like it, it matters a lot. They want to be involved. They want to deliver and represent the group. So, but yes, it's, um, yeah, I, I do agree with you though. Absolutely. In terms of the, 
the time and space to to think, which is hard now because mm. the world of gadgets and news mm-hmm. and um, just everything is so on demand now, isn't it? Even it is. on this podcast, I'm getting the odd being here in the background. Mm. And that's the constant loop, you know, if someone comes into the office here, like it's, you know, you got to turn phones and screens down, like just because there's this constant distraction from technology, you know, phones are, are, are a curse really, you know, like in smartwatches, like I've a, we had this conversation earlier on here today, like I have a G-Shock watch and I'm like with other people that have smart watches where, you know, they're constantly like email or a text would pop up on their phone. And in my mind, I, th- I would find that very distracting mm. um, if that was happening. But that's the way of the world now, the world we're living in. So mm. it's um, how do we then utilize some of that technology to for the greater good, I guess. So, yeah, it's it's a constant challenge. It is. I mean, because there, as you said, there's so much distraction and we can get addicted to distraction so easily. Uh, like, I don't wear a watch at all, Leo. <laughs> um, because, uh, and certainly I couldn't. <laughs> well, I think I've got so many reminders of time around me, so uh, you can never lose that awareness of time. Can I ask you, Leo, about burnout? Uh, because I, certainly in healthcare, you know, about one in every three doctors experiences professional burnout at some stage it's 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 very prevalent in the corporate world but i know in sports people burnout is increasingly recognized i mean well have you any thoughts on it um yeah i i do have thoughts on burnout yeah um Mm. for for, from the player's point of view you know how we manage the group i think is it's hugely important so you know like we have a group here it's roughly 45 senior players roughly 20 academy players and how we manage the academy players into the building and try to set them up to succeed over time rather than just throwing a young guy in there and it's that sink or swim attitudes you know we'd like to make sure that they have all the tools to be able to deal with the challenges um, at some point obviously they have to get into that senior environment and that senior team with COVID at the moment because there's no real underage rugby that is quite difficult at the moment um, mm-hmm. but the burnout piece then from the from the playing group you know that's why it stands to reason for me in terms of you know rotating the team having trust in players to give them opportunities um over time rather than just relying on you know a small group of players and then there's this disconnect within the playing group of the 45 senior players where some guys are playing the other guys know they're never going to get picked so i think it's important that guys do get genuine windows of opportunities so that's an important piece to prevent some of that that that's more of a physical burnout like the mental burnout is probably what you're talking about in in the corporate space for us it's for our guys to have like, like a positive distraction because in many ways like rugby should be the funnest part of their their day so we yes. want them to have something where they're challenging themselves whether that's from a mental point of view with a college course or whatever it is a trade or etc we want them to be ha- have something in the background that they're you know they're keeping themselves busy because if they do have a setback at least they have something to fall back on because that's an important piece as well because you know some Massive. of the, the challenging points for our guys mentally is is dealing with some of that setback piece and even mm. at the start of the week like there's the selection piece as well because again as i said like if the selection comes and for whatever reason the player is not getting selected for a period of time it's like well be able to turn your attention to something else which will help you keep mm. in a better place mental headspace and um, because you're turning your attention to a use a positive use but the burnout piece yeah is a challenge now and i can imagine for lots of people in working environments um it's this constant pinging of emails all hours mm. of the day and you know you people have their phones beside the bed for their alarms or whatever else and they wake up at two in the morning and they roll over and suddenly they're looking at whatsapps and texts mm. and emails like it's pretty unhealthy now so i think it's making sure that we try and put some ground rules in our week you know even for me like i, I need to be better even myself like in terms of that conscious piece of when i come home that i it's kind of leave the phone on the stairs and i my attention is with my two young mm. kids who have been away from the whole day. So, and my gorgeous wife as well. Um, Very important. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like, but it's easier said than done. Um, I don't always get it right. I get given out to a bit, um, rightly so, because it's it's important headspace. Yeah, to for people to have that headspace and to be able to focus your attention on what really matters at that mm. given moment in time. So, I do believe we get distracted easily, as you said at the, at the very early piece. 
I learned a few years ago how just how important it can be to leave your phone downstairs at night and, you know, to have a wind down time at nighttime. And uh, because bringing your phone to bed, you've got that blue light, it's affecting your sleep quality. Then you wake up in the morning, you're distracted, you're straight into emails. And, uh, you know, that lack of sleep can really ramp up feelings of anxiety and just really dull your performance. Yeah. Um, do you have a ha habit well, like that? Hmm? The breathing piece, I think, is important as yes. well. So get some, spend some time and, you know, whether you're practicing mindfulness or whatever that is, but I definitely do the, the quality of breathing because you know what like that anxiety is like when it starts to build mm. up in your chest. Um, so to have those really deep breaths and really be focused on your breathing, um, I definitely do believe that serves you well. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, I think when you slow down your breathing, uh, particularly to maybe about four breaths a minute, it makes you feel much more calm, much more in control, much more responsive. And it's a great way to damp down feelings of stress and, and remind you that you're in charge. Exactly. Yeah. Um, which sometimes you can feel when you're very, very busy, you can feel your world is scrambling out of control a little bit. Um, Absolutely. Pressure points. And as you say, like if you've had poor quality sleep, uh, if you're one of your young children is decided to climb into bed beside you and clambering over the top of you and you have knees and elbows in your face um, and you might not have slept well or whatever that reason is. But the technology piece is probably some of that is in people's control. Um, you got to go, okay, well, it's not healthy for me to respond to emails at three o'clock in the morning. So, because overall that's going to lead to some negative effect, whether it's that night or down the line, you're going to have some sort of negative effects. So it's just understanding, I think, okay, well, what, what, what is the pattern here at play? Thankfully, I sleep well, so I must have, must have a clear conscience. That's um, good. I sleep well, so. But I do believe, yeah, sleep is important, yeah. Because I know mm. what I'm like when I don't get great sleep. Mm. Um, and I know it's something I'm like, oh, I'm a little bit more, it's a lot easier to agitate me mm. and annoy me. And I get annoyed easier, um, which is quite often doesn't serve anyone particularly well. Well, Leo, you're a human being like everybody else, and we all have basic health needs. You know, we need we need a good night's sleep. We need to take good care of ourselves. I think self-care is really so important. How do you take good care of your own health when you're such a busy, you know, leader uh, with Leinster Rugby and you're, you're, you're a husband and you've got two small kids as well? I think time with the kids is great. Like, it's just, I, yeah. I must say, like, it's, um, it is it is a real joy um, for me. So that's probably my big release. You know, I don't do a huge amount of training. Um, I just, when I stopped playing rugby, I did. Um, there's a couple of things that I would I do more from a like stretching point of view more than anything else. Mm. Um, but yeah, time with the kids, I think, is great. Um, I'll be playing a bit of football now this afternoon. Lovely. Um, with my six-year-old. Um, so that'll be good. So I'm looking forward to that now. Lovely. And you played till you were 36. Did you... You had a bad shoulder injury at one stage, you said, but otherwise... Were you pretty free of injuries throughout your career? Um, shoulder was a kind of an ongoing problem for me, yeah. Mm. Uh, some Achilles injury issues later on as well, wear and tear. But yeah, shoulders and Achilles were probably my main issues. Had some other ones as well. <laughs> I was literally glued <laughs> together by the end. Uh, <laughs> lots of tape. So, yeah. yeah it, was, uh, it was good for Leinster to get me off the, bit, off the books um, for tape alone. You know, William Blake, the writer, once wrote that the strongest poison ever known was Caesar's laurel crown. In other words, you know, nothing fails in life like like success. Nothing fails in life like success for all of us. And, uh, you know, how do you cope with success, Leo? And how do you keep dusting yourself down and, and keep on going again year after year? Is, it, is he trying to say that success makes us weak? <laughs> no I'm, I'm not saying that success makes us weak but success can breed can breed complacency yeah. and uh you know can become a slippery slope yeah without doubt yeah and you see it in so many walks of life for sure yeah everywhere um, and yeah definitely like you, 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 and sometimes you, yeah you, I, I do i do agree with that yeah um how do you i suppose what safeguard from complacency um yeah I've heard lots of different phrases over the years. But yeah, I think it's important for us to be able to recognize some of the signs, I think, as whatever leader position position you're in, um, not get too carried away. 
um, with wins or losses as well. So I think it's important to to have something to go back to. So for us, that would be very much around the performance. So yes. if we win a game, you know, we, sometimes we win games and we play absolutely brutal. You know, so what are we actually reviewing? Are we reviewing the result or are we reviewing the performance? So mm. sometimes we might lose a game and we haven't actually played that badly. So it's important for us to understand like what's actually happened. So being true and honest and open as to, okay, well, this is what we see. Do we all agree with this? Can we make these required improvements to ensure that, because at the moment we're probably setting ourselves up to, to fail at some point in the future. And we've been through that process. Yeah. Some of the coaches here have gone through a process where, you know, they've talked about like this learning from failure piece. So it's to have a, these different types of games that we've played in and lost and all the factors we believe as a playing group and staff to have contributed to us losing the game. So, um, and then it's for the next players to kind of, okay, well, as a young player comes in, they see this, some of these games and go, okay, well, these are, these are the things that happened on that day. So, because just to ensure that we don't fail again, you know, but, you know, failure is, is a part of it. But I think going back to the performance piece, I think is more important because, you know, the winning and losing is just the outcome. The, we only have so much control over the outcome. Um, because there's the opposition, the weather, the referee, whatever else, um, lots of things in terms of traveling to game and all the rest, you know, players getting sick or, you know, people, six people getting injured in a game or, you know, there's so many things that you can only have so much control over. So it's, yeah, it's, it's just, again, going back to the performance piece, I think if the players really focus on that, that's the key for that continued success. Lots of coaches have been through that cycle, but otherwise you're in this kind of boom, bust, boom, bust, boom, bust, and it's, it's going to be hard work going through that. Absolutely. And, you know, the the outside world, the media is usually very focused on the result, the, the win, loss, boom, bust, as you said, whereas really, as you said, it's continuous improvement. It's the looking at the performance, the effort uh, that really matters most. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that's the kind of the Carol you know, Dweck and the growth mindset. And yeah. As you say, like that continuous improvement piece, um, just to look at to get better and improve. And, you know, the competition, I think, is it helps with that complacency piece because, you know, not only are we competing against other teams, there's, you know, in certain positions that guys know it's competitive to actually get on the field in the first place. So, you know, certainly that some of that competition definitely does help with the complacency part, you know, and having a competitive group. But us as coaches then having the faith to back some of those selection decisions as well. Mm-hmm. What's the best lesson you've ever learned so far, Leo? Try and enjoy yourself. That's my big thing, yeah. Like, because... Like I try to laugh and smile every day, you know, that's important to me. And then because if I wasn't doing that, I'd kind of, I'd be asking myself the question, why am I doing it? Because there is a certain sacrifice that is involved with time away from, from loved one and friends. So yes. if I wasn't doing it, if I wasn't getting some level of enjoyment and satisfaction and fun element, because at the end of the day, like I'm involved in coaching a rugby team, you know, it's, 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 I play talk of rugby as a whatever eight or nine year old to have fun and enjoy myself with my friends and nothing has really changed drastically bar you know there's a lot more scrutiny and all the rest Mm -hmm. but the fundamentals shouldn't drastically change because if i was doing it for a different reason you'd ask what is the actual reason you're doing it for Mm -hmm. um so it's probably not to lose sight of that piece um the enjoyment and fun element of it and because you know it's that kind of work to live or live to work isn't it like um it's it's trying to get that balance right because um, it can be all-consuming, but you know, I know if I'm in, we'll call it work, coaching Leinster, um, and because the games are the weekend, you're traveling and all the rest, and um, we'll do a review, medical review, and coaches are trying to the game ready in terms of that performance, analyze the performance for what it is rather than for what the result is, and what, we, what are we doing well, what are we not doing well. So that's all time away from family. So family need to be part of it as well. And that's one of the great challenges in COVID times for us at the moment because normally family of the players and staff and support staff and all the rest are able to be part of it on a match day because they can actually go to the game and then they feel it um, and they get some of the positive piece from that whereas that's not there at the moment um, no. it's particularly challenging for you know you know we've had a number of young players that have made their debuts in recent weeks and you know for their friends and family have watched them and coaches or whatever else have watched them develop and mature and not to get to, not to be there at the game <clears throat> must be a challenge um because that's like that's what makes it really for me is the you know the that's what makes Leinster special in many ways is the connections with you know the families and the clubs and the schools etc that are mm-hmm. they're very much on our doorstep on around the province so but yeah hopefully we'll get back to that point in time but again it's a very long-winded answer the enjoyment piece for me 
Well, you said that at the start as well, Leo, that you really love rugby and you love what you do. And, you know, it's recognized that when you do love what you do, it's it's a great way to connect with your inner purpose. And they say, love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And you clearly do love it. That passion really comes through to me. But if you could, can you imagine what you might be doing if you had never played rugby? I think players spend a long time. When you're a rugby player, you spend a long time <laughs> thinking about that. And yeah, I, I've explored different things for sure. Yeah. Um, when I, during my playing career, what would I be doing? I don't know. I honestly don't. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 it's a very <laughs> hypothetical question anyway. It's so. very <laughs> hypothetical, yeah. It would be a very hypothetical answer as well. But uh, there's lots of things, yeah. Um, I might come and work for you, Mark, I think. Um, <laughs> space. But yeah, I don't know. Would I get involved in sports at a, at a different level, you know, rather than coaching, you know, if I yes. wasn't a player? Would you still be involved somehow, somewhere, some level of business? I started doing accountancy exams when I was when I was playing rugby as well. Never quite okay. finished them, but um, yeah, the interest I was always interested in finance mm. for whatever reason. Um, did economics in university? So because so there is such the road. there is such an overlap, isn't there, between you know sport and business, and between sport and life? I mean, there's such synergy there in terms of the values and the messages. It can be for sure, yeah. Oh, look, I think there's like lots of things that happen in sports. It's just the coming together, the group dynamic piece at all levels of the game. And that's the beauty. Like in, you know, like in many ways, like sport wasn't really, I don't think it was ever supposed to be professional. Like when people were coming up with these games, there were four pastimes. And, you know, in many ways, I, I there's there's a part of me would have liked to play rugby in, as a as an amateur. So if you were getting to represent mm-hmm. Ireland as an amateur and you had a career running side by side with that, because, you know, because sport being professional, it does create problems. It's mm-hmm. an amazing way to make a living. Um, don't get me wrong. Like, and I feel blessed um, mm. again you know gratitude piece i do feel grateful for having the opportunity to do it but there is a part of me that goes mm, is sports mostly because like it's this whole club mm. cycle environment if you go in and play with the minis and <clears throat> you go through a club and you play progress to the senior team and if you're lucky enough to go back and go on and represent a provincial team and a national team fantastic but then you tend to go back down the the grades um all the while you've been working yes um, and that sense of community, which is what sport is about, bringing people together. So, yeah, definitely professional professionalism does muddy the water to a certain degree. But on the flip side, like it has been a fantastic experience nonetheless. So, but yeah, I always ask the question: mm, I wonder what, and is that a better way for sport? And like obviously, the GA here in this country should the yes. GA become professional, and you know, it, it just shifts the dynamic massively um, mm. as to what the organisation is all about. And that's the great debate, really, isn't it? You know, like what would it do? What would professionalism do for an amateur organization like the GAA? And I know there's lots of other sports around the world would look at the GAA with great envy because mm. of it still delivers on that sense of community, which is Absolutely. so powerful. Um, and people buy into it. And, you know, for the players, <clears throat> the challenge for them, like it's it's such a commitment um, for them. And, you know, I've, obviously I've observed various different teams over the years and watched with great admiration what players and coaches do year on year on year in terms of what they deliver for for free it's an amazing commitment but um <clears throat> there's also a lot of power in that as well i think it's important to understand there is a lot of power in that i think you're right i think it's that sense of metal that sense of community spirit uh i mean i i, I see it so much here in in, in waterford uh, which is a strong hurling county with with different clubs and that that sense of interconnection between people at all levels so I think that's amateurism at its best in the GEA there as well, you know. And that's why it's so powerful in terms of grassroots mm. as well, because... Yeah, grassroots. You know, and like, unfortunately, once someone gets paid, like, it, then it's kind of like, mm, should he be getting paid, <laughs> et cetera? It's this not yes. on effect, you know, so... But yeah, like, if, you know, that was the big decision in 1995, going back to that original part of mm. the story for me. You know, there was the World Cup in 1995, and like, it's a really fascinating case study, you call it what you want, but like, there's lots written about at the time in terms of how the game came about in terms of the game going professional. There was obviously the battle with rugby league and what way was that all going to play out because the game of rugby league was professional long before that. So there was going to be this potential mass exodus and, you know, how does the game get shaped? You know, and again, because we have a central union here in Ireland, which creates a nice tier really because national team feeds, you know, down into provincial, into club, et cetera, et cetera. So um, underage and all the rest. And but so there is this, this natural, chain um, and the fact that the game's international as well and the Irish team competes against other international teams and once the game went professional globally it's you know like you're left with little option really 
But it is a, it's a fascinating um, debate um, because you're growing a professional setup and over time and how we evolve and try and get better. And, you know, I know there's been lots of mistakes have probably taken place with with that, but you know, to be expected, it's mm-hmm. everyone's blind blind with the for the right reasons. But within all that, there's people have all their own various vested interests as well. Yeah, and I, I think for each and every one of us, Leo, I mean, the opportunity we all have is to be professional in what we all do. And you espouse it through your commitment to continuous improvement. Uh, I mean, that's a professional attitude, a professional approach to whatever you do, whether you're playing sport, uh, whether you're working in healthcare, uh, whether you're a student, whatever you're doing to give your all, to love what you do and, and do your best. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's like going back to that like club environment. You know, like if you're going into yeah. your club and saying, how do I help out here and make this thing better? And, you know, mm. and if you're playing for the first, seconds, thirds or fourths or fifths or whatever it is, you know, there's always something to be done, something that can be approved upon and helping out and rolling the sleeves up and mucking in and all the rest, yeah. you know, all that good I, stuff. So, um, I mean, I, I think it's a great question for all of us to ask ourselves each day, you know, how can we improve even 1% what we're doing? How can we improve our contribution to our organization or to our club or to our family you know how can we how can we get better yeah exactly yeah um and that's trying to get the balance right as well then yeah it's trying to focus <laughs> it's when you focus too much time here by the time something you know as they say about coaches you've you've either been fired or you're about to be fired <laughs> so, <laughs> i'm still waiting for the day um every week i wonder i wonder is this the week i'm going to get fired um but in, like, you, you obviously have that like what are you falling back on at that point in time so yes you know if you haven't invested any time in your family and friends or whatever mm. else are they going to be there um when you need them so um Declan Kidney was always a great person for the, the the stool analogy and making sure we have all the legs um taken care of so um it's an important piece Absolutely. You know, one of the best, I suppose, ideas in positive psychology is this idea of what's called the best possible future self, looking forward to maybe three years down the line and thinking, you know, how might things be for you then in terms of your health, in terms of your career and your relationships? Um, if, if I was to ask you, Leo, about your best possible future self, say 2024, 20, three years from now, how might you answer that I think for you? I think the development of the kids, my kids, for starters, mm. um, like there's a constant sort of like from a work point of view, there's a, there's, a, there's a natural evolution. You know, seeing young players progress is without doubt the best part of the job. From a home life, you know, the evolution of kids and, and trying to experience things like, you know, there's there's challenges, huge challenges at the moment. The fact that we've sort of been on pause as a, as a nation in many ways has its challenges, but there's also been benefits within that. I think it's fair to say, like at the lockdown when it came, you know, we're coming up to close to a year on it now. And it's amazing, really, like that initial part mm. was like the weather was great and even though you know, we were able to just hang out in a very local area, whatever was two kilometer limit at the time. And uh, yeah, for me at the time with my children was fantastic. Like there was lots of things to be sorted out from a, from a work point of view, but from a remote mm-hmm. uh, aspect and, you know, the staff were excellent here and trying to get a, a system in place as how do we contact the players, etc. It's just that progression piece, you know, like in trying to provide the same opportunities for my family that my parents gave me. I think that's an important piece. And uh time and we're lucky you know my wife's parents are still alive and fit and well um same with my own parents and just spend that quality time with them i think is the most important piece you know because like you don't get the time back do you like it's important to enjoy the moments you know it's it's really important to enjoy the moments they're the people that obviously matter the most like as i love all the people that are here you know but my family like i, I want to be with them for forevermore you know so um, absolutely but i think that's it's it's kind of the life cycle, isn't it? Providing mm. the same opportunities as that I was provided by my own parents, similar from my wife's point of view. As they say, moments become memories, and exactly. uh, you know that 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 creates our own our own legacy and our own family. Make Can memories, I ask you? though. Like a lot of teams use yeah. that as their thing. Like so, their their higher purpose is mm. is the making memories piece, um, and it's quite a common thing for for sports teams. And it's very much in three years' time, what do you want? You know, like whether I'm here or not, I, I don't know. It's it's a pretty fragile occupation, rugby coaching. Um, so you need to go come into the business with your eyes wide open. Um, but it's the memories piece, yeah, and the relationships and mm. the enjoyment part as well. You know, we played against Northampton recently in, in Europe. They're in our group in Europe. And they have a coach, Chris Boyd, who's, who's in his early 60s. But that, that's what I asked him. Is there any advice for your 
for me, who's is what twenty odd years is younger. Um, and he just that was his big that was his piece of advice. It was it was enjoy the good times um, because you know there's there's going to be trickier times ahead, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's important. And I think it's 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 an interesting idea as well to ask older people for advice. You know, because people often have great wisdom to share. Oh, absolutely, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. We were I was very lucky here, as as I was mentioning in that caretaker piece just shortly after that here. Through the club, they they brought Graham Henry in, who had coached the All Blacks, um, and he was coaching the All Blacks when they won the World Cup in 2011. But you know they had dealt with failure as a group when they lost to France in the quarterfinals in 2007, where they went out in the quarterfinals. I think it was quarterfinal stages. Um, so he had to deal with that failure piece as well himself, and you know he had coached Wales and the Lions and dealt with failure along the way. Um, but I, I still talk to. Sir Graham, as he is now, Sir Graham Henry, talked to him last week about something that was on my mind. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, amazing character, and uh, he's seventy-five years of age now. But he's so much wisdom to pass on. But yeah, I, I, if you can find older mentors, I think it, there's such value in that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you Leo, three three take homes for our listeners uh, about a resilient mind? What would you say? For a resilient mind, trying to have clarity of of your vision, I think, is important piece. Whatever that okay. is. That you're doing because that helps you stay the course once you're clear in your mind as to what the vision looks like i think you're able to stay the course easier um, because that's what a lot of people in your organization will want and so it's that kind of clear roadmap of what it is you're trying to do so i think that helps build a resilient mind anyway because then yes. you can deal with the ups and downs thinking clearly when there is the down piece as well so it's having confidence in in your ability and that ability to back yourself as well um, mm-hmm. but that's based off your clear philosophy so i think spending time on that clear philosophy is important and it's probably something that a lot of people miss mm. um, i think it's fair to say so again going back to that purpose piece what is the purpose so and then when the challenges do come along it's trying to stay clear in your mind and then probably that third piece is what what we've already touched on is you know taking the time to to be able to think because you can you can throw yourself into something and be a busy fool in many ways so sometimes taking a step back and going, right, okay, well, you need to think this one out again. So that's that time for reflection piece, I think is important. It's fantastic. And finally, Leo, can I ask you, for you, Leo Cullen, what's the meaning of life? I think it's having a purpose, really. Like, And for me, like the way I would see it is that dual purpose, really. Like, Because as I said, like I'm looking from the occupational point of view. Like, So there's a certain purpose there. But in many ways, that purpose is helps deliver on the family purpose and you know like I, I go back to it all the time about my own parents and like how fortunate I am in terms of what I was provided with so it's making sure that my own children are provided with something similar and yeah like even the caring piece and trying to help other people along the way as well pretty obvious like it's treat people the way you'd want to be treated yourself I think is important as well you know so yeah the meaning of life yeah I think that's important and because we have like I'm to I feel like I have to communicate a lot of bad news in my actual job. Uh, more bad news than good. Everyone expects the good news here. They always want the good news. As they're expecting. <laughs> Nobody expects the bad news or certainly they act very shocked when they get it. So, But that respect piece, I think, treating people with respect. Mm. But, but the meaning of life for me, though, is, is the purpose. So find the purpose. And you know, for me, that's very much the family piece. The other one just gets me out of the house in the, in the morning or gets me up out of bed in the morning. Well, Leo, I want to say it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I wish you every possible ongoing success. Keep leading, keep inspiring on and off the field. Leo Colin, thanks a million. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to my podcast, In the Doctor's Chair. For further resources to support you to live with more vitality, please visit my website, drmarkrow.com.